So much of the time, humans are asking the question, where is God? Is there a God? Can we know? Where is he now? What is he up to? Or even believers walking through seasons where we say God has been silent lately. We're saying things like, I'm not sure I've been able to access his presence lately, or where are you, God? These are normal parts of our, of our faith journey. I'm not suggesting that we don't experience life this way. But I think a closer reading of the texts of Scripture frame the question so much differently. God shows up right on time in the garden when Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found and he's the one asking the question, where are you? He's very talkative in the Bible. He speaks to Cain before Cain kills Abel and says, I see what you're going through. Sin wants to take you, but you must master it. And after Cain kills Abel, he's still talking to him. What have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to the ground, from the ground to me. He explains the consequences, but he also puts limits on those consequences as a protection for Cain. Again, we're asking the question, where's God? And God's asking the question, where are you? We're often asking the question, where's his presence? And he's saying, where's your presence? We're often saying, I don't hear God's voice. And he's saying, are you listening? I was at the piano the other day singing, we don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore We don't talk anymore Like we used to do With reference to God And I think the answer is That's more of what he's saying Than what we're saying Jason Upton has some lines in a song Where he says Jesus, when you speak to me today I hope I'm listening to you. Jesus, when you walk with me today, this is me adding it. Jesus, when you walk with me today, I hope I'm present with you. Isn't it more like we have rivers of living water, but for some reason it's an effort to drink from them? I suspect for every single one of us here, the Lord's been speaking to us this week during singing. I was feeling like the Lord was saying, what did you hear me say this week, Tim? And if nothing comes to mind, pay more attention. Dig a little deeper. Like when a good detective sits with an eyewitness and they say, I didn't see anything. And they say, dig a little deeper. What did you smell? What did you hear? It's amazing what we perceive that we don't realize we perceive. All right. 
I had a friend named Davey, and he used to say that Bible reading was a pretty big religious thing for him. By the way, if you're standing, feel free to sit. You're, you're welcome to stand if that is more comfortable to you. <laughs> and I've noticed that for us Christians, we associate so much of our relationship with God with self-measuring and a series of things that we think we need to do for God to be happy with us. And so when I ask the question, or when God's asking the question, where are you and are you listening? Are you present to me? It's very easy for us instead of just doing that check and returning to the fact that this is holy. This is holy. This moment right now is holy. Washing dishes right now is holy. Working in the yard, this is holy. Waiting in traffic on Route 1, trying to get to the beach on a hectic, don't do it on the weekend, but you're there anyway. That's, that can be holy. Working on that crazy, what was the day that was so insanely hot? Was that Thursday? Where you're sweating it out in the Delaware humidity. That can be holy. But often there's this religious checklist we go through that says, I haven't really sat down and had my quiet time. I remember my friend, Davey, which that's fig leaves, guys. That's fig leaves. Do I have something? Am I, am I put together enough for Jesus? That's, he said to me last week during the singing time, why do you associate your relationship with me so much with self-measurement and self-evaluation? That the minute you try to come into my presence, the first thing you do is check yourself to see where you're at and what you've done or haven't done or what's left undone. Why do you do that, Tim? That's all fig leaves. It's why Adam and Eve were hiding in the first place. My friend Davy Slabaugh began to say, shocked me years ago when he said, anytime I find myself experiencing too much guilt with the Bible, I take a three-day to one-week break from reading the Bible. Just to relate to God without that measurement tool. Dallas Willard says one of the most toxic aspects that you can allow into your spiritual life is guilt. Guilt is a terrible motivator. The presence of guilt as the, as the motivator for doing what's right reveals we're not rooted in love. That's a whole nother sermon, but there is a healthy place for shame, which is different from guilt. Shame is when you realize what you've done wrong and you wish you hadn't and you feel an appropriate amount of remorse and even embarrassment over what you've done or become. There's a healthy place for shame before repentance. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stuff that doesn't come from the Lord that we do to measure ourselves. That keeps us from the fountain of living water that can fill us and satisfy us so that we can engage the people around us out of a motive of love. So that we can engage our moments out of a motive of gratitude. By the way, this is the sermon. So if you were thinking, he's going to do this, and then we're going to have communion, and then a beautiful baby dedication, and then another sermon? No. No. So Davy Slabaugh said, I take a break from the Bible when I find that I start to approach the Bible not with hunger, but with guilt. So you pick up your Bible. What's, your, what's, what's here? 
I can't believe I get to know you better, God. Show me something about you. I'm going on a little bit of a Jesus journey right now. I've taken the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and I've eliminated anything that's not read. And I've created a little folder of just the words of Jesus. Occasionally I'll leave a few words in like, uh, and he was healed from that hour. Something that gives me a context to understand what Jesus is saying. I have this sort of theory and you, you can tell me if you think this is true. Yeah, Matt, you can sit down. You feel free. But I like what you guys are doing. That's fine. I have this theory, and you can tell me if you agree. If I took a group of people who didn't have any doctrinal convictions whatsoever, they were agnostics or even hostile atheists, or some of them may be believers. They're just going through a a season where they're not sure that they're sure or what have you. I could take a group of people, secular And I could say to them, I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you believe in heaven or hell or whether the Bible is the word of God or the atonement or Jesus. I don't care. I don't care. But we're going to try an experiment. We are going to live out the words of Jesus together for a year. You know what I think would happen in that year? I think most of them would come to what the Bible actually calls faith. I didn't say certainty. I mean, what the Bible actually, there's something about doing the words of Jesus that causes you to realize the genius that he is, that he has a superior grasp on life to anyone else. All right. On the night that our Lord Jesus gave himself up for us, He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, eat, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, he gave it to the disciples, giving thanks. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it as often as you do in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, you're present. You've been present. You've been speaking. I know sometimes I pray, don't leave me. I know sometimes... I assure myself of your promise that you'd never leave me and never forsake me because I feel small, vulnerable to life, tossed to and fro. But there was never any danger that you would be absent from me. that I would be absent from you. There's never any danger that you would be silent with me. The danger's always been that I would not be listening. There's never been any danger that you would withdraw the availability of this fountain of living water from me. The danger is that I would not be drinking. So as we approach this table, 
I ask God that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive. Pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup. May they be for us the body and blood of Jesus in order that we might be for the world the body of Jesus sprinkled with your blood. God's people said, Amen.